0: Hello there. How are you? Happy New Year 2021's a doozy so far, isn't it? After all those uh, bold proclamations and joy at the the ending of 2020. We're back in lockdown in the UK. Back homeschooling. And my wife is actually. She's really spearheaded it this week. So that's been good. But I hope you're well health-wise, health, health wise, financially, the economy still rolling on, isn't it? Mired in uncertainty and lots of anxiety and tensions. on am pretty much every front. Thank you, though, for listening to the podcast. Do appreciate it. Thank you to the sponsors, Bangalofsyn of Cheltenham and Serene AV, who are specialists in some of the finest home entertainment brands, providing solutions based around high-quality customer service and installations. Really uh, good to get a New Year's message, New Year's Day message from Jason Briggs, the team leader at Bangalofsyn of Cheltenham, and Serene AV. And uh, again, as we sort of pivot to spending yet more time in our homes, certainly in the UK, and as I understand it, in large parts of the world, United States, still under restrictions in certain states there as well. That maybe home entertainment system may be on your mind. Some good music to, to lift your spirits uh, or whatever it may be. And through Serene AV, it's not just Bang equipment they source, you can get whatever you like. So, BO, uh, Bang Olufsen Cheltenham website, B&O Cheltenham on Twitter and Instagram. Wet your appetite with some of those fine Instagram videos teasing the latest equipment in stock. I'm not sure whether they're actually going to be open. I guess they can't be open in the courtyard because of the lockdown in Montpellier, there in the heart of Cheltenham, but I'm sure can source things remotely, get things sent out to you, Zoom consultations, whatever it might be with Jason and his team, get in touch with them. Uh, as we look towards immunity, I am certainly leaning into my Immune Complete 2 at the moment. Luckily enough, we get tested at work for COVID-19 But beyond that, just trying to stay as healthy as possible. Immune complete too has the zinc, selenium, the vitamin D3, vitamin D3. If you're Australian or American, you would say vitamin. And that's the key component and something we're missing in the UK at the moment. It's real gloomy gray, like the most penetrating gray. If you've never been to the UK in December and January, you wouldn't be aware of it. But it's the lack of light. I find a real struggle. I've actually got my UV light on the moment for the combating any sort of seasonal affective disorder. But certainly internally, the micronutrition trying to uh, take the, the vitamin D3 supplements trying to get out at lunchtime take my little girl out my remit is is, is outdoor exercise in, our, in the way we've tried to organize it at home the homeschooling so and that's a positive for me to get out when the, the daylight's at its peak relative peak it's not exactly bright here much of the time at the moment and for me that's a challenge but take the supplements from cytoplan the immune complete uh, two as an adult man immune complete one if you are a menstruating woman or a child, or they have an immune range for children specifically as well, cytoplan.co.uk, supplement company, really appreciate their association with the podcast. My old man, Dr. Mark Draper, has been a doctor consultant for them for a while, done his own nutrition courses, but believes in their supplements, and we pay for them ourselves, albeit at a discount. And if you would like a discount, you can go to cytoplan.co.uk, C-Y-T-O-P-L-A-N.co.uk, and you can get a discount with the code DRAPER10R, D-R-A-P-E-R, all capital letters, one zero, the numerals, and then the capital letter R. So DRAPER10R at cytoplan.co.uk. I've actually sent a link to the Immune Complete 2 to a good friend of mine who's got coronavirus at the moment. His wife recovered pretty quickly, bounced back. Their boys haven't been touched all. My mate's been struggling a little bit. Slightly uh, more dramatic than, than maybe it is because my brother is a doctor, spoke to him and and said that my friend was worried about his chest but didn't have any chest symptoms so but anyway he'll be he'll be all right fingers crossed but i hope you're well and i hope you are looking after your immunity rest sleep outdoors get that vitamin d whatever you can do um whole foods try and get antioxidants the whole the whole sort of kit and caboodle not too much alcohol although it is tempting at the moment of course uh, might be drinking a beer watching your local club on the internet through uh, iFollow or whatever it may be, because uh, we're still not allowed into sports grounds. We were briefly last month, but now it's been uh, pulled back again in England because of the lockdown. On that note, very pleased to introduce John Palmer back to the podcast. as a fine local journalist who's real conduit for me keeping in touch with a lot of local sports scene, particularly Cheltenham Town, My uh, town's football club, I'm a Manchester United fan, sort of growing up, but I've lived here now for seven or eight years and always followed the club because I actually spent my teen years in Malvern, not far away. So all the local clubs I would try and uh, keep in touch with and and particularly since I moved here, been to the club a number of times, Wadden Road, enjoyed that, enjoyed getting to know the insides, workings through the podcast. A lot of people from the club, including players, the latest one before Christmas was Chris Hussey. And it's good to keep tabs on. They're doing well. Fourth tier of English football in League Two. I can't remember that w- word tier now. Is, it's slightly tainted by the the pandemic use of it. So maybe the, the fourth strata of English football, the fourth level. Um, but try to bid to get into the third level in the top four. Currently, I believe, fourth in the table at the time of recording. FA Cup game this weekend coming up. The oldest cup competition in the world looking to get to the fourth round. But it's John Palmer, who, who's done a lot... For, He's also a, a journalist as well with the local university, University of Gloucestershire journalism lecture, I should say, training the, the would-be journalists of the future. So an interesting time to get his take on, on everything and following the team and the health of the club and the other local clubs in the area. So here he is, the one and only John Palmer. John Palmer, welcome back to the podcast. Another, another medium, but we're on. It's good. We're connected. <laughs> another platform. Yeah. We're recording on it, but you're down at the Cheltenham Town press conference right now, are you, or have you left? Are you at home now?
1: No, normally, normally the Cheltenham Town press conference will be on Thursday, as we discussed, but it's been pushed back because the game's on Sunday. Um, okay. it's, it's either going to be tomorrow or Saturday, so I'm just waiting for confirmation. But normally it's always Thursday morning before a Saturday game, so I was sort of preparing for it. But because of the, the game being pushed back to Sunday and live on the FA player, which is uh, good for Cheltenham, um, yeah. they're going to do it a little bit later. I think the players are off today. Uh, so everything's been pushed back. the The routine has been slightly altered. So they're normally off on a Wednesday. Obviously, this week they're off on a Thursday. So slightly different routine. So yeah, uh, Mans- I'm all
0: yours. <laughs> yeah, good stuff. That's uh, <laughs> that's quite a declaration to start to start us off. Uh, Mansfield, <laughs> Man- Mansfield at home on Sunday, isn't it? In the FA Cup. So it's on the FA Cup player. It's not. I, I wondered whether cheekily it might be on the, the the mainstream TV, but that's on the FA's website. Is it?
1: Yeah, last rounds against Crewe, Cheltenham and Ron were live on BBC Sport website, uh, which they got yeah. a bit of money for. This time they're on the FA player, which is a free free service. You just have to sign up. Um, so anyone who who can't, obviously, they can listen to it. If they'd rather watch it, they can watch it online on the streaming service from the FA player. And it's a
0: little bit of extra income for Cheltenham as well. Um, mm. Although, sadly, obviously, there might be anyone inside the stadium. No, no. How I mean, we'll talk about uh, the club in a second. But how have you found the Christmas period covering the, the club? Has there been a... I know it's been a slightly tricky run, hasn't there? It's still up near, towards the top of the table, but is it six games without without a victory, but very tight games after that that win over Exeter, from what I was looking at? It seems like everything's everyone's been batting down the hatches. What's the mood been like over the Christmas period? Yeah, I think it's the
1: first time for a long time that Cheltenham had a little bit of what you could describe as a wobble under Michael Duff. They've they've not lost two in a row for a very, very long time before they, they lost to, uh, to Barrow and, and Bolton. So mm. it's... Uh, I think it's it's nothing to panic about because they have been so consistent and they scored five against Exeter as you said, and since then the goals have dried up. So that's what that's what Michael Duff will be will be looking to address. Ruben Reid's mm. gone, so that's quite a big move because he was one of um, Cheltenham's, sort of I would say higher end earners, very good player, but didn't seem to be featuring much. So the fact they've managed to um, send him to Yeovil for the rest of this season on a permanent deal, he's he's out there will no no doubt be in the next couple of days.
0: The mm. replacement coming in that Duff will hope can get the goal flowing again. Yeah, yeah. Ruben Reid leaving. I mean, that was strange, wasn't it? Cause we, he did so well at Forest Green, that he never quite gel into the, the club? He's, he's gone down to the conference, towards the bottom end of the conference with Yeovil.
1: Yeah, I, I, I really like Ruben. I think he, he, unfortunate circumstances that he signed from Forest Green, everyone was quite excited about it. Within days of signing, he needed a serious, what actually yeah. turned out to be a career-threatening knee operation. So, he had the operation. Obviously, he felt. He, I've spoken to him about this recently. He felt him embarrassed. You know, signed for a new club mm. within within days of meeting all the new players. He was out for for months. So he came back well from that. Gav Gav Crow and the medical team at Cheltenham got him fit, uh, fitter than he has been for a while. Settled in really well with the lads. Really sort of interesting character, thoughtful character. Um, nothing but positive around the place um, from what I've you know what I've seen and what I've heard at Cheltenham. But for some reason even though he's got quite a good strike rate at Cheltenham, he didn't seem to be featuring much during this period, even when Cheltenham couldn't find the goals. Mm. He was behind Andy Williams, Alfie May, George Lloyd in the pecking order. So he'd either be on the bench and unused, or he'd come on for the last couple of minutes. So as much as I like him, I think if that's going to be the case for him, at 32 years old, there's no point in him sitting around on the bench yeah. at Cheltenham. He's been at Yeovil before, um, when they, uh, probably about eight years ago. And I think he will go there and make a really big impact. He, he helped them win um, 3-0 against Weymouth the other mm. night, um, didn't score, but I listened to the game and he sounded like he was heavily involved in
0: a lot of their good play. So he, he's he's way better than that level and I think it's a good signing for Yeovil. I wish him all the best. Yeah, what would he be earning down there then in, in Yeovil? Would it be comparable to what he was on at Cheltenham, even though that's the fifth fifth tier, the, the bottom end of the fifth tier compared to the, the fourth level? Yeah, I think
1: Yeovil obviously come out of the Football League very recently. They've mm. not had a good time of it at the moment. As you said, they're not in where they'd like to be in the National League. I think they might have pushed the boat out to get him in hoping that he can fire them up the table a little bit, because there's no, you know, Yeovil, all things being equal, they should be yeah. on a level playing field with Cheltenham, really, in terms of the size of the club. If not, they're a bit bigger. They were in the Championship not that long ago, which was an amazing achievement mm. under Gary Johnson. They got you know, only one season, but that was, you know, for a club of that size. Yeah, they're, they're as big, if not bigger than Cheltenham. So I think they they will probably have pushed the boat out. Maybe they've just taken on his contract or something similar to what he was on at Cheltenham, because his contract at Cheltenham was up at the end of the season. Mm. his deal at Yeovil is only till the end of the season so the incentive is there for him to, to do well at Yeovil and also geography would have come into it because he's Bristol based he's oh, had okay. some personal family issues with his, yeah. with his um, as, as I think we've discussed before he's had a few off the field problems with with health in the family which I you know hope fingers crossed everything's right there but I don't think he wants to be travelling around the country too no. far so I think geography definitely would have come into that Bristol to mm. Yeovil
0: obviously not too bad a drive either yeah, like sort had a spell, didn't he? Jamie Curitan of playing in the southwest quite a lot, even though he was at, yeah. at originally. It's almost like they they kind of orientate towards areas, which makes sense as you get older and you you, you kind of put down roots and, and everything like that. Players tend to have regions in the country at that level where they're not getting paid huge money. Yeah. What's the, what in terms of the run? I mean, it may not play into this because it may just be Cheltenham Town's unique circumstances of momentum and form. But what is your take on the going to the games? the demoralising effect of the new lockdown, which I suppose everyone's trying to kind of come to terms with in their personal life, but for football and for lower league football, I mean, we were hopeful when we fans have started to come back and it, it now seems to have gone away. What sort of effect has that had on the mood around, around the clubs around league two?
1: Yeah, well, Cheltenham's game, they haven't played since the lockdown, obviously the first game of the year was called off at Harrogate. So they haven't played since the Colchester game right yeah. at the end of 2020. But I think the, the feeling for me when fans came back for two league games and one Papa John's trophy game, and um, the feeling mm. after that when they disappeared again was probably the worst part for me because yeah. every it, you realized how much of a difference they made when they were in there for that, that first game. Um, Exeter, five goals for Cheltenham, three you know, absolute thriller of a game. Mm. Um, and you know, even though there wasn't a huge amount of them in there, and then they, they were there for the Bolton game. Unfortunately, that was a one nil defeat in the last minute, but <laughs> you know, injury time, but it's still. Just, I remember sitting in the press box, looking down and and seeing an old guy, Cheltenham town fanatic that I've recognised. i I'm Not sure what his name is, but he's always there. Just sat there, reading the programme, absolutely massive smile on his face. Yeah, no one around him, you know, safely distanced, but just sat there reading the programme. The, the warm up was taking place. I remember just thinking, you know, this it means so much to so many people. Yeah. Um, last season when Cheltenham got to the playoffs, I think everyone was just happy that the playoffs were able to go ahead. As disappointing as it was that fans couldn't be there, but I think the you know, we've now had a derby game, Charlton Town against Forest Green, with no mm-hmm. fans. We've got another one coming up again, end of January, which is going to be uh, behind closed doors. The FA Cup third round, absolute cry and shame, that's going to be behind closed doors. So, it's, it's, I feel like even more down about it now that that they've had a hint of fans coming back, seeing yeah. what a difference it can make, even if there's only maybe just over a thousand in there. Yeah. And now they've gone again. It just, it's so flat. It really is flat.
0: At the how, moment. Many, how many were in that? Just over a thousand were they? Was that enough to give them a boost in finances? What, all the costs of the protocols were kind of nullified that. What was your take on the money side of it?
1: The the, the game was, was like the, the test game. So that, was, that would have been open to only season ticket holders only. So I think as good as it was, that wouldn't have been any sort of real financial benefit to the club. Yeah. The, then they had the Portsmouth game and the trophy, which was an all-pay game. So anyone who came to that game would have been contributing some money to the club, and then the Bolton game because they would successfully gone through the exit of the game and everything had gone smoothly. It was brilliantly organised by the club's staff and safety officer and stewards. The Bolton game, I think it was just under 1,700. Mm. So that's obviously quite a considerable amount of fans above the season ticket holders, which I believe is around around thousand mark. Mm-hmm. So that would have again been a you know every penny counts, and that would have been that would definitely helped. But it was it was just seeing fans around the ground you know just seeing them filtering in and, and enjoying the game and yeah it's, it's financially I'm not sure how much of an impact that little that little spurt of games would have, would have made but you know the, it's definitely going to be taking every day that goes by now without without fans buying tickets is going to be obviously Boxing Day they sold tickets for the Stevenage game everyone's going to have to be refunded for that and I think the sales were quite high for that that yeah. was another major blow that that was that was probably the one where I turned up on Boxing Day and felt the flatness, you know, where that would that have been called mm. off at quite quite late notice. So that, that was a real blow. Boxing Day is obviously such a big tradition for everyone to yeah. enjoy, their, enjoy their Christmas Day, even though that was slightly different this year. But a lot of people would have been planning on going to Wadden Road on Boxing Day and that obviously wasn't possible. So that was probably one of the, the, the moments that really hit me, how flat it was without any fans coming in.
0: Yeah what's your read on it with the football low leagues one and two cuz obviously we we're hopeful weren't we initially it was talk of, of of october november for fans coming back do you think they would have started the season had they known or do you think they would have i don't know voted for a, a delayed season to the spring would it have been better for them to do that put players on furlough mm. it's a tricky one isn't it when you when you look at it in retrospect because the whole thing has been rack with uncertainty we're in we're out we're, we're all around. it's sort of like it's uh yeah. it's changing from one week to the next one minute we're sort of all supposed to go out and, and eat out, and then we're, we're eating in and, and not going out it's just, it's been a whirlwind year, hasn't it, so I wonder whether they in retrospect would think actually we should have just held off for a, a bit
1: yeah, I think that there is there is an argument to say this season shouldn't have started at all you know with the situation being as it was, but I think there there were better much better preparations. In place than there would have been if the they tried to carry on with the season and complete the season normally last year. So, yeah. Cheltenham's first game that Charlton's first game this season was Peterborough away, and I remember it was, you know, it was so well organised. The players were getting changed in a in a hugely um, in a in a big lounge bar area that was much bigger than the changing room. The, the showers were outside in a sort of temporary block in the car park. Everything has been done really thoroughly with the player's safety in mind. I think that's the key. Mm. I think as long as they obviously there's now announcement yesterday that the players are going to be tested uh, yes. very regularly and it's going to they're going to get some help with funding from the PFA which I think is absolutely vital and and right that that should be the case but I think as long as they can guarantee the players safety now I th- I, I think a lockdown for everybody in the middle of January and February a lockdown without any football is yeah. a lot worse than a lockdown with football as long as yeah. it's safe you know I think it I think it's the, it, I'm hoping that they can make it safe and you know the way that it's being tested and the way that the the protocols are um i think it's you know it should hopefully carry on but whether the season should have started i just think there was so much uncertainty they just had to yeah. do what they you know do, do what they could at the time it's so hard to predict isn't it like you said things are changing by the hour it's mm. there's no there's no way they're going to get every decision right but i think it's uh, it's not the same um if any any teams that are struggling this season will probably want it to end. <laughs> some yeah. teams that are doing some <laughs> teams that are doing well will probably think, well, yeah, we're doing well, but it's not the same without the fans there to enjoy it with. Yeah. Um, so it's it's uh, the, the amount of headaches that it's causing for far far more important things in football, obviously. But it's you know it's just it's affected everyone, hasn't it hugely? Yeah. So.
0: Yeah certainly so I think you're right Football is a big solace In, in terms of And it was really positive Actually I, I retweeted your news That the, rate, the sort of Latest round of tests Of coronavirus That Cheltenham Town Players were all negative Which is Is fantastic um, It's How how do you sort of um, See the, the The sort of fans connection with the club have the the viewing figures been good online have people been going there i suppose one thing facing all sports has been the way the premier league has tried to appease its fans by having games pretty much every every night hasn't it i don't know whether that's affected the people following the the local clubs as well
1: yeah i think they're they're still as fanatical and and passionate as they were you know i think that i I, there is a slight worry that people might get out of the habit of, of going to football but it's not as if there's much else they can do on a Saturday afternoon at the moment with the no. the, the restrictions in the, they are, they're not, they're not, they can't go anywhere else. So I, I, I can't imagine people suddenly thinking when the when lockdown ends, I don't want to go. I think they want to go back more than ever. Mm. And there's still, there's still a huge interest in the club. They're still. I think the, the, the figures for I follow for watching the games have been very good. So the club, you know, every penny counts, they'll be getting a little bit of money from that. Oh, good. Um, and the, you know, the, at least people can still watch the games as well, as well as listening to them if they want to as well on, on the radio on live on the radio. So yeah, I get the impression this connection's still there. Um, hmm. People were desperate to come back for those games in December. Um, you know, there's obviously the, there's also the issue of will people feel safe to come back when they're given the green light to come back. And I think I asked Michael Duff, who is unsung hero of 2020 would be at the end of at the end of the year. And he said, Paul Godfrey, because yeah. Paul, who I know, I know you, you will know Paul, he's, and you've done interviews with him on the podcast that've been yes. But he's he's been the man who's taken a lot of the responsibility for the COVID uh, protocols and, and organising all that, along with the safety officer Andy Dalgetty and all the you know all every member of the staff at the club will have played a part. But I think Paul has really taken on the, the brunt of the work to make sure that everything's done properly. And, and that's like you said earlier, the, the fact they've had no positive tests at this stage shows how. You know, fingers crossed that continues shows how how well they're, they're doing it and how seriously they're taking it and how they're not taking any risks. They've had a, yeah. one or two situations where a um, member of staff has shown a couple of possible symptoms. They've been moved, removed straight away from the team bus or sent home from the training ground, had a test. Mm-hmm. And as far as I know, it's all been it's all come back negative, but they're not, they're not cutting any corners. And I think that's, you know, yeah. fingers crossed, it will continue to be so. But at the
0: moment, it's paying off for them because they haven't had to call, obviously call any games off or had any, any outbreaks in the squad. Yeah, that's the interesting. Without the ticket money, it's also offset by the, the protocols. Do have a cost with them as well. And I know it's good that there's been support for the, the testing program because that would be would be expensive otherwise. And it's it's funny, isn't it? Because I dearly miss going to games, dearly miss going outdoors and and swimming and things like that. But I think I feel fortunate to have gone into work at Sky Sports News throughout. And there's a modicum of normality for me with that, although obviously it's different. There's distancing. We're only on air one person at a time but I still miss going to sports how fortunate do you feel just getting to the game being there because you're in quite rarefied sort of company aren't you
1: yeah massively fortunate you know I I was able to go to the playoffs last season first game memorable for Cheltenham fans second game particularly forgettable for (laughs) Cheltenham fans but it was just yeah just just lucky I've definitely been fortunate throughout this whole thing to be able to carry on working in, in both my jobs Mm. But I would I would say that as, as I'm not I'm not certainly not turning my nose up at being able to go to the games, but like I've said so many times, it does make you realise how important the fans are, and it doesn't. It just doesn't feel the same. It's, it's, no. You don't get the same adrenaline. You don't get the same feeling at the final whistle. You know, it does feel like such a friendly, pre- almost friendly.
0: Does it? Does it? Does it, does it feel like, like it means less to the players? Like the end of the match when there's you know when you win a game or, or you lose a game, are the emotions more muted than they would be otherwise? Do you feel?
1: I think they are, but I think I think Michael Duff's done a brilliant job. One of the one of the great things he has done this season is managed to create this intensity with the players that they are mm-hmm. they are still up for it. And I think he's he's spoken about it a few times that he's tried to make all the training sessions the same and all the games the same. You keep the same intensity level whether you're training on a Monday morning or whether you're at a match on a Saturday afternoon. Forget mm-hmm. what else, forget everything else that's going on, and just maintain those. It must be difficult for them not to have the fans to feed off. But I think that's one of his big successes this season um, despite the recent little bit of bad form to be fourth at this stage still in the FA Cup he's you know they've the, they've been so consistent I think that's probably his biggest success is getting the players up for it despite the fact that it is really hard without any fans yeah. to feed off but the yeah the Exeter game was just one of the best games I've seen at Cheltenham Town for a long long time and that was just surely that the fans coming back had some sort of impact on that I think yeah, I think five, that was definitely five, a factor three. in the game yeah, yeah.
0: What, what a thriller. So, yeah. I, I wonder with, with Michael, that, that ability to motivate. Clearly, it's something that's integral to him. And he, he cites Sean Dyche, the big mentor. But I wonder about his experience playing grassroots football. Because, you know, it, it's a bit of a cliche, isn't it? When I had him on the podcast, we, t- we joked about it. But he, he played in ascending order, all eight tiers, up to the Premier League. But he would have played with very sparse crowds. Do you think that helps him in a way? I know. I suppose the problem is that the environment you're in, because actually you're not playing on a, on a, on a small pitch with, with no stands, you're in the middle of a stadium. So it's a little bit different because you have that, that sort of constant presence or lack of the, the fans being there, it's present with you, that reality. But do you, do you reckon his background has is, is helped him in that way? I think his background has helped him in that way and also just in talking to the players because he, he had rejection
1: at several clubs when he was younger. Forest, Darlington, Swindon, all, all rejected him when he was younger. I think mm. that helps him when he talks to young players now. If you have a setback, it's not the end of the world for you because he kept on going and kept on going. Then I definitely agree that you know he he was playing for Carsten Town in the Hellenic League. He was playing for, on loan for Sirencester Town from Cheltenham, and he actually got sent back because mm. they didn't rate him from Sirencester Town. Wow! Uh, and that, at that point, you know, if you'd have asked Cheltenham fans whether they thought Michael Duff was going to make it at Cheltenham, even they might have they might have been unsure. But it was, it was Steve Cottrell. Yeah, Steve Cottrell got hold of him, and and Michael Michael's own. Determination and work rate, and I think it has made him a very, very different to your typical player that's played in the Premier League because he's very grounded. He knows mm. he, he doesn't take any of it for granted. He, he isn't flashy at all. And I think if you, well, I'm not going to mention any names, but I think Cheltenham in the past are not are definitely not talking about the, the manager before Michael Duffy because Gary Johnson wasn't like that at all. But previous managers have been maybe mm. a little bit what I would call flashy, big time. I'm yeah. better than you. You know, yeah. talk down to the players. I just. And I just think that's that's a recipe for disaster. I think I think the players want to play for Michael because he's he is down to earth. He's been there yeah. and done it, but he doesn't he doesn't act like he's made it all the time. He doesn't act like he's he he, he quite often interviews, as you might have noticed. He quite often talks about well, I, I wasn't that good a player, but I made it for these <laughs> reasons, or you know, I I had all these setbacks, but I still yeah. got there in the end. And it's 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 a really good sort of almost fable that you can talk yes. to the players yeah. about how he how he overcame all those disappointments are still to win three promotions to the Premier League with Burnley, you know, from yes. at one point he was, um, he got, he got sent on in a game for Cheltenham once and then taken off again, you know, and it didn't, it didn't all go smoothly for him at the wow. start, but he, but the way that he came through, he, you know, he's undoubtedly Cheltenham's best youth product,
0: but it, it didn't all, it wasn't all easy for him. Yeah, that's, that's great. It? That, that story to rise from adversity, that personal narrative must help, but also that, you said that sense of, of, of empathy and ability to communicate with the players at whatever level they are. And he, he actually really interesting when I first spoke to him, he was concerned about the sort of commercial and, 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 and sort of consumer pr- pressure on League Two players who are earning 500 quid a week who are trying to buy t-shirts for six or 700 because they've seen Paul Pogba promoting them on his Instagram page. And he was saying, you know, you've got to be re- reality of where you are and, and, and not trying to sort of bankrupt yourself. And I suppose that must be part of the, the reality, isn't it? The, the financial concerns, how much anxiety do these players have at the moment at this level with all the uncertainty? Do you feel that, that is something that he's having to combat. Is, is their mindset with contracts potentially, you know, running out, and and just the, the the grand scheme of the world situation, the pandemic. They must be concerned about their their futures, particularly the older guys with with families. Yeah, I suppose in a way they're,
1: they're a bit like we have been. They've been lucky that they've been able to, although it's been very different. They have been able to carry on going yeah. to work, doing what they love. And although they'll all, they're, every single one of them would say it's not the same without the fans. At least they are still able to turn up, train, do outdoors with their mates. Um, and tr- and in a safe environment and playing the game, so that 's a huge positive for them but there's there's certainly going to be implications for this in the short and longer term for mm. players uh, earning power i think because clubs clubs are clinging on aren 't they clubs are getting a bit of help here and there Cheltenham have been very lucky with the cup prize money they 've got and the other the other income they had last season that 's given that a little bit of a buffer mm. but there are clubs that you know there are clubs that are needing in need of major assistance, and I think all all the players will, will know that they're lucky to have the job they have yeah and you know that it, it will have long lasting implications i think with with regard to michael duff i think if any player turned up in a dressing room with michael duff and started acting a little bit sort of i've I've got this i've got that i've spent this on this car or i've got spent this on this t-shirt i think that just isn't mm. accepted at challenge i think they <laughs> would get i think the way the way he set it up with the, the leadership group that he's got and the, the the Down to earth nature of the likes of Ben Toza, Charlie Raggan, Will Boyle, Scott Flinders, that the sort of the more experienced lads in the squad, they would just stamp that out very quickly. And that none of them are, uh, are like that at all, none of them have got that sort of arrogance about them. And you know, you've, you've interviewed Hussey, which was, was a brilliant yeah. person. And he, he, He's not, you know, he's played for Sheffield United, he's played in Championship League One for a lot of his career. He's, he's a very, yeah, very hum- humble and hard working and,
0: and down to earth guy. He's really, you know, not. Sorry, sorry. No, I just say it felt speaking to him that he was a sort of more introverted character. He seems to have grown out of himself, possibly with the help of Michael Duff and was, you know, is becoming a, a more confident, rounded character, albeit in sort of alongside his education and getting a degree and things like that. It's fascinating to, to see him sort of bloom, isn't it? Off the pitch as well as doing yeah. so, so well on it. What, what another thing
1: of, of Duff's strengths is, and he, he knows, you know, he's still got, He's still got things to learn. He's not. He's not the finished article. But I think one thing that I've been impressed with him. I think if you if you put any different type of character or player under his management, I think he will find a way to get the best out of them. He hasn't discarded many lads. I know Ruben's Re- gone, mm-hmm. but he, he was he came he came off the bench the other day, and he was still part of it. He hasn't he hasn't really outcast any players. Yeah. Uh, he's kept them all involved. I think he he understands what makes them tick. I think he's got that sort of. I, think, I don't know, I think he's just in tune with what the players are going through, what stages they are at their careers, supposedly difficult characters or you know, lazy players or anything like that. I think, he, I think he can get the best out of all types of different players.
0: Um, I think that's been another thing I've been really impressed with in the last couple of years since he came in. Yeah. Do you feel, looking at the league as a broader, maybe League One as well, do you feel that there is um, clubs that are going to struggle to make it to the end of the season without fans? What's your take on it?
1: I think there's I think obviously I know most about the three the three main clubs in Gloucestershire are not in that bad a position compared to most from no. you know from what I'm chatting to people. I think Cheltenham have been well run. Um and so Cheltenham haven't got a benefactor but they've got they've had some transfer sell on fees and they've had some football funds, um football fortune, I think it's called, you know, prize money from the various different cup competitions this season which is just it's, it's not a great situation they're in but I think they're, they're not I don't get the impression they're teetering on the edge of yeah. oblivion That's Forest good. Green have obviously got the, the benefactor Dale Vince I don't get the impression they are on the verge <laughs> I, I get the impression that they're okay you know they're secure and Dale Vince is in it for the long haul and yes. I think you know they're, they're they're planning on doing quite a bit of business this month. I
0: managed to sorry to interrupt. I managed to get Michael Duff because Mark McAdam is doing the transfer show at Sky Sports News, one of the, the main people on that. He asked me for Michael's number. I've got him in touch with Michael, and Michael was on Sky Sports News yesterday, just giving sort of perspective on on the, the challenges of the transfer window. But it made me tickle because I thought we have we have Dale Vince on Sky Sports News so often, just because he's this charismatic, outspoken character because as well as being a benefactor he, he does shine a light upon him doesn't he? if you're anyone in the in the sort of forest green Nailsworth area Stroud area you're suddenly aware there's a football club on the doorstep aren't you which you may may yeah. not be otherwise he's, he's great in terms of publicity I think which I sometimes feel we should try and balance it out but that's the, the reality of the media as you know working in it if you're if you're that kind of character often you do get you get attention
1: yeah he's, he's, he's definitely put the area on the map and he's you know, he's, he, like I said, he's, I don't think he's going to turn up for a couple of years. While well, he's already been there for I think a decade, helping yeah. out with the club and helping it progress. So he's not just a flash in the pan. I think he's, and I don't. It's some some club owners. It's purely about ego, really. Mm. Whereas I think Del Vince, it's not. It's more about his beliefs and his ethos that he's trying to yeah. promote. And I think you've got to give him a bit of credit for that as well because he's not. It's not just about him, his profile. I know his profile is part of what he's trying to promote, but he's. Mm it's green green energy it's it's veganism it's uh bamboo shin pads it's organic pitches and you know in some ways they are probably showing football the way forward in some some of the ways some of the things that he does um yeah. and, and to do that in in an arena where anything different gets laughed at at times you know the, the amount of stick that they will have got over the last few years since they you know since they went all vegan at the ground yeah every fan you know will have a laugh and a joke about it but really i think to do that um, and, and know that is, there's going to be a little bit of a backlash from some people, but stick to your beliefs. Um, and he's, he's put his money where his mouth is as well. Yeah,
0: and, think, and, it's, know, and, and I, attention in the modern world. We talk about the attention economy with a bit of cynicism sometimes, but he does he, he, he does sort of provide oxygen for the club, doesn't he? Which I think must be a factor if you live in that area and you sort of move to it. You move out of London, a lot of people moving to the Cotswolds now from London. You're like, well, there's a local club. It suddenly draws your attention, doesn't it? And you, you think, I'll go down and, and watch a game when we, when we can.
1: Yeah, and they have to go through a hell of a lot of um, jump through a hell of a lot of hoops to get the the go ahead for the new grounds. That mm. looks like it's going to happen. You know, that is on course to happen now, so that will be very interesting when they move to the purpose built stadium down by the M five junction. Oh, and where's, they, oh, you know, where's that going to be then? Is that which junctions that is that the, 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 it's the Stroud Junction, jun- oh. jun- the Junction thirteen, um, which is going to be? I don't know if you've ever got off the motorway at thirteen towards Stroud there's some fields on the right there. I believe it's just that oh, okay. right. You know, couldn't really be any closer to the motorway. So that, that will really, uh, there's some debate there about whether they should be taking the club out of Nailsworth and the new ground's only been there, you know, for for a short amount of time. Yeah, I was gonna say,
0: It's called the new lawn, wasn't it? I mean, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I think mid, mid, mid 2000, uh, early to mid 2000s, they moved there um, mm. from the old lawn, just moved slightly further up the hill and the old ground was turned into some housing. So yeah. I think the, you know, the, that's, But I think if they do want to continue to progress and get to where he wants them to get to, the current location of the ground just isn't accessible enough to be getting big crowds in there and also it's obviously not that easy to get to for fans. So I think yes. being down by the M5, some of the, some of the old school hardcore fans based in Ellsworth and the Forest Green area will need to travel a little bit. But I think if they want to grow and try and attract new fans from the area, it's going to be really interesting to see how they get on with that.
0: Yeah, hopefully that inspired Cheltenham to be ambitious as well, isn't it? You kind of have that sense because there's always been that sort of glass ceiling feel sometimes it gets us to move to the town with, with people and you know, what are the realistic ambitions? I know they've been into League One before, but you do wonder the demographics of the country change, more people move to the country. We don't know what the the long-term effect of the pandemic will be but it's interesting when you just around I was going swimming like the other week and someone was saying how they would moved from Teddington to the, this the lifeguard I think uh, Teddington in southwest London and obviously that's where I used to live in Twickenham and I think there does seem to be a, a move this way I think the demographics change we've got new housing developments all the time that that maybe that that can then boost the club by and large with the, the potential numbers can't you so you wonder if if Forest Green doing well is, is it is a nice competition for, for Cheltenham to have in that way as a business as well as a club yeah, I think any any successful club or business
1: or anyone need, needs a rival to to spur them on. But Chel- Cheltenham, with, with regard to the fan base at Cheltenham, I mean, when those days when Duff was breaking through and and just making his name at Cheltenham, the crowds were lucky to be up to a thousand. And then mm. there there was obviously a huge amount of success in a short space of time under Steve Cottrell. and they did actually go from seven or eight hundred up to four and a half thousand, four 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 and a half thousand. Wow. And then now a lot of people thought that the longer Cheltenham stay in the football league it will grow, it will establish itself as a football town and the attendances will continue to grow. But I think balancing that out, I think some people have just sort of started to take it for granted and lost maybe mm-hmm. lost interest about being, being in League 2 pretty much every year for the last uh, 25, pretty much every year for the last 20 years, Cheltenham have been in League 2, or the odd, the odd, little, the odd little spell in League 1 and 1 in the National League. But, you know, it's pretty much League 2. So the novelty may be worn off, has worn off a little bit. So it still is, doesn't feel like a, um, a huge football area. But I think the longer... The county has one at the moment, two, hopefully for the long term, possibly even three. And that mm. is going to be a great achievement if Gloucester City can get there as well. But to have two or three football league clubs in the county, you know, it's, it's got to be good. And the, for the for the rivalry, so as you could say, they're all going to be scrabbling for the same players or scrabbling mm. to take the floating, to grab the floating fans, especially if Gloucester um, gets into the Football League or Forest Green move to their new stadium, there might be a few floaters. But I think. <laughs> it's very difficult to change. It's very difficult to change loyalty, isn't it? You, you really, yeah. I don't think you get many, many people giving up supporting one club to go and start supporting another. So you've got to try and get the young fans in, and the, the ones that maybe watch rugby or don't actually watch football at the moment. Or you know, that's that's the, that's the key, I think, because you're mm. you're very unlikely to get a Forest Green fan to suddenly start watching Cheltenham, and vice versa. But yeah, I think it's good. It's it's healthy, and it's and you could argue that football in the county has never been in a better position, despite yeah. everything that's going on I in the know. world. In Terms of league positions to have two near the top of League Two and then Gloucester top of National League North, you know, it's probably never been better, really.
0: Yeah, Gloucester, I mean, that, that's a pretty logistical sort of achievement as well, isn't it? Because that's some long trips in National <laughs> League North for the Gloucester team and the fact they've gone through the ground move and everything. Yeah, they, they seem to be on the cusp of being North or South. They've been, they've played in both, they've spent most of their time in the North one,
1: uh, but they've they had some long trips. They're, they're back in Gloucester now. I thought, you know, it's really sad for them that after 13 years away, yeah. they get back home. And now that they can't have fans in, all they have, you know, on a regular basis, are they, are they okay they though, John? Have, you think financially they're okay? Yeah, I think a bit, a bit like um, Forest Green, they've got, they've got benefactors putting them, putting some money in to help them along. You know, that's, that's really going to, I think that will keep them away from, away from the edge. Mm. So, but yeah, they'll still, they'll still, in a, in a way, they're in, in, a more difficult position because some, some, and certainly clubs in their league, when some of the players have got other jobs, and then they're turning up to play football as well. Yes, that's, you know, there's more concerns over player welfare and safety at that level, I think, than there is in League One and Two, where the players are professional. They're in the bubble with with the teammates. They they only go to training and they go home. Sure, some of these lads point, yeah. are non league are, are out working and you know delivery drivers or you know, I don't mm. know Glouc- working Glouc- at supermarket Gloucester. or something, yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. supermarket. Yeah, but Gloucester Gloucester Gloucesters are pretty much fully really professional now, so hopefully that isn't too much of an issue for them. But it, it all comes down to safety, doesn't it? As long as they can do it safely, it's great that they carry on. But uh Gloucester have got the the three G pitch now, so once people are able to again they can make money out of that by hiring out hiring out during the week. But I think the Alex Petherum is the co chairman who who owns a building company called Soldi, who, who built the ground. He's he's been involved for a few years now and he's certainly um helped out with yeah. some, some valuable, valuable funding which has helped them attract a higher calibre of player. And, you know, they've they've been brilliant first first half of this well, they're not halfway yet, but to be to be where they are after I think sixteen games top of the league. They've got Kidderminster on Saturday or third, so that's a big one. Yes. So you know, yeah,
0: you know, Kidderminster Harriers. Yeah, I used to cover them a couple of times for BBC Hereford and Worcester actually <laughs> back in the day. Yeah, yeah they
1: they go well as well. Russell Penn, who's ex Cheltenham midfielder as their manager, so and they've got quite a few extra Cheltenham lads in their team. So I'll keep an eye on them and that'll be you know that'll be a good game for, for any of the fans who want to watch yeah. it on.
0: I think they can watch it online as well, Roster City fans. For people listening who are football fans in the UK or maybe listening from outside of the UK, how do they fund Gloucester City then? Is what the sixth slash seventh tier of, of English football? How do you fund professional football at that level? There's, there's some clubs in that league that have been in the football league that have got a very healthy fan base. So yes. obviously
1: that, that the, the starting point for any club, if they've not got anyone, any benefactors or any you know rich chairman pumping money in, the, the starting point is always going to be, regarding to budget, how, how many fans you've got coming through the gate. And there are some, some decent mm. sized clubs in that league, some ex-football league clubs. But with Gloucester... Um a lot of their 13 years away has just been about survival Um yeah. you know the, 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 the last spell which the, the, which saw them sharing at Evesham that must have been the most difficult because that is a, <laughs> a long old trek for the Gloucester tre- yeah. fans who are based in Gloucester to go to Evesham for home games is yeah, it, is it, is... it's in Worcestershire as well isn't it technically Evesham. yeah just over the border yeah just yeah. over the border pretty, pretty easy to get to from Bishop's Cleave for example but for Gloucester it's just, just that little bit further than for example going to Wadden Road which they ground shared for a few years so yeah that was probably the most testing time for them and they've, they've been through so many difficult times. They've had so many, we're nearly back and then it's been been um, delayed again and we're nearly back and at one stage they were looking at potential other locations for the stadium and, and you know, so many people have had so much work in to just to keep the club yeah. alive um, and Tim Harris who's just taken over at Worcester City I've put in that bracket is just somehow keeping them at that level of football they're at now when they, they have no money, they have no grounds, they have no players on contract, very few players on contract if any at all now it 's a little bit different they 've now they 're now pretty much fully professional they 've got three g pitch everything 's ramped up a notch in terms of professionalism- mm. pu- purely because of the money that 's been put in by the, by the owners It has to be said that's yeah that's what it, that's what's, that's what 's allowed them to turn it around do i think if any fans deserve a bit of um you know glory
0: on the pitch after what 's happened over the last thirteen years it's lost to city fans yeah definitely definitely so I th- it just fascinates me the fact that we can go so deep in in providing professional employment for players at this stage in, in 2020, when I was looking back at, it's a fantastic documentary, a series of them on Sky, not to plug my employer, but one was the Matt, Matt Busby documentary. And he was fending off questions about inflated players' wages in the 1960s. And I was trying to figure out and I was speaking to my mum. And I think it was, they were getting comparable, you know, maybe not George Best and, and, and Dennis Law, but a lot of the players at United were getting comparable pay to what my granddad was earning and he was a pretty senior painter and decorator. He was working at the House of Parliament at the time. But you think so they were on something like that and people complain about their wages then. And that was the elite of the elite Manchester United gone to win the Champions League, the European Cup in nineteen sixty eight, yeah. won a couple of league titles around that time. You think so they were the the best team or one of the best teams in the country in Europe and, and people were complaining about their wages. And yet we can now Funder system where we—it's—I mean—it's great for more people to get a living out of football. I think it's fantastic, but it's just interesting how it's developed over the past, I suppose fifty, sixty years. Since then, it's um, it's it's yeah. really
1: cool. I think Gloucester will, when hopefully things ease, Gloucester have actually got the potential to draw in some decent crowds because of the size of the city, the location yeah. of the stadium. When when the stadium flooded, the Gloucester Keys development was not wasn't, wasn't there, um, um, and it, all, it, what was there was very minimal. Now the whole area has been redeveloped. Loads yep. of extra
0: entertainment complexes and bridges over the canal. It's 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 in a much better location. Quite an American feel, isn't it? And so, you know, imagine a small stadium in an American kind of shopping area like that. It's got a feel. Yeah, to
1: it. it's just it's just over the bridge. So it's, it fans will, I think fans will come back, and they have they have briefly gone back, but they're obviously not they're not able to now. But once once the fans can go back on a regular basis, I think Gloucester have got potential to, in terms of fan base wise, certainly in in the old days and in, in the. In the non, when Charlton and Gloucester are both non-league, there wasn't much of a difference between the two sets of fan bases, and yeah, Gloucester will hope that they can make it, you know, sustainable with the fan Mm. base they get in. But a lot will depend on how long uh, the 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 owners can put money in, and how quickly they can start to balance it with getting regular, you know, season ticket holders, and obviously sponsorship (laughs) comes into it too. And if they get into the football league, that will help, yeah, um, with the the funding and everything like that. But I think it will if if they get back to Gloucester and fans are allowed back in and they're only getting crowds of 300, then they, they're going to know that's not realistic to be aiming to get in the Football League. But if they get a couple of thousands, then it is. Yeah. So that, yeah. that's what it will come down to
0: long term. Yeah, and I agree. And I think actually in terms of rather than sort of, I guess, uh, dissecting the fan base. I think there's certainly an argument that the rising tides lift all ships and that if Gloucester gets bigger and Gloucester City gets bigger and we've got the rivalry with Forest Green and Cheltenham and it galvanises football fandom in the area and people like you know going to school, almost a microcosm of yeah. what goes on in Liverpool with the Everton Liverpool fans and the banter within families and within friendship groups in the playground and stuff. I think it might be probably positive for everyone to get committed yep. to the sport but obviously it's a traditionally it was a rugby town isn't it Gloucester rugby city how what's your take on a, 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 Martin Martinson Quentin I'd sent him an email on back end of last year the chairman of Gloucester rugby and chairman of the race course and he just said yeah it's you know everyone's well thankfully but it's been a, a challenge and I haven't caught up with him recently I might try and get him on the podcast again and see if he's he's up for that but rugby seems to have been a sport that's almost suffered more than football doesn't it even at the top end of premiership versus league two football yeah I think
1: Gloucester Gloucester aren't going particularly well on the pitch at the moment. I think it's again, it's going to be all about survival. I think you know, I'm, I'm not got my finger on the pulse anywhere near as much with the with the rugby, but I just get the impression that they've been more, much more affected because obviously they are. They've got some some of the top players in the country playing for them. Huge comparatively, I would say their salaries at Gloucester were dwarfed yeah. the likes of of Cheltenham Town and the Forest Green players' salaries. Big and then obviously well, got,
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, they they will be getting crowds of maybe fifteen thousand. Um, it's all. Everything's got a couple of extra noughts on the end when it comes to Premiership rugby than it does League Two football. So, I think they've they've been much harder hit. I think, mm. but I think they will come up with a way. Uh, like like, the government and and the authorities are going to have to do with everything just to make sure that that we don't lose um, teams and clubs that have been part of the fabric yeah. of the city for hundreds of years. You know, without rugby, Gloucester, Gloucester would be absolutely lost. You know, it's, yeah. Like you said, it's it's a rival for the football, but it, it's. Gloucester the, the passion Gloucester has for rugby is, is unsurpassed anywhere else in the country in in
0: my opinion yeah yeah in particular you maybe sort of down to Bath this whole area the region the west country is kind of a, a sort of a unique aspect in, in the heart of a football loving country that it's so rugby rugby oriented. Yeah. but I think off the top of my head logistically I suppose the struggles for rugby are you've got more players to pay 15 starters they often use a lot of substitutes they've got to then have the, the difficulties of social distancing it's more testing because you've got more players in the squad i mean american football in the u.s must be off the charts Have yeah. 80 or 90 players in their squad so you realize that those concerns when you haven't got big gates big fan selling tickets it makes it even more complicated than maybe the lower lower level football what about your your other hat john with the universities what's the picture there is it remote stuff is it been remote stuff throughout or is it going to be more remote stuff or are you going to stick to the balance you had before christmas what's the, the read on it yeah um so first semester so from from september to christmas it was
1: predominantly was in-person teaching so we, we were we were lucky that the university had it really well organized everything was done That's safely good. we were able to teach on campus um almost all of our classes were on campus there were some of the some of the more theoretical modules were done online but i think we you know yeah. we were able to get as much as we could, it was it was good. We gave them the best possible possible experience. Um, now we obviously, since the news that came out early this week, we're now we now going to be be fully online mm. until um, the middle of February, as things stand. So it will be, go back to how it was during the latter part of last year. So from March, end of March to
0: the summer, we were online only as well.
1: Yeah. So we've had. So are they, they going to stay at
0: home then, the kids over Christmas? Presumably, they're not back yet. Well, they're going to stay in their parts of the country, or what's it? I think be it's
1: like? the, the the government guidance is if you're already here um so some some students will have stayed here over christmas you you know mm. you stay if you are back home they don't they don't want huge amounts of people traveling around the country obviously so i think i think the government guidance is to stay where you are wow um continue with the learning online and then see how the the figures look middle of february and then obviously everyone will hoping that the the more the vaccine is rolled out um, and things start to get under control we can welcome everyone back in but what a, what yeah, a different fresher's awesome. year than
0: my freshest year for, for, for first year students. yeah it's uh, it's amazing Mine was 20 years ago but it was so sociable that first year as well it's difficult isn't it you know and i guess for the second and third years as well it's very surreal and challenging but for the first year it's all about getting used to living away from home and and having that sort of i guess relative comfort of, of your grades not contributing to your overall degree it was a it was a great time of becoming an adult wasn't it so it's such a hugely different time yeah yeah they they I mean last semester would have been very different
1: as you said to to a normal fresh year but at least they were yeah most of them are living living together in halls on one of the campuses they've been in um regularly to to, to face-to-face teaching and they've all you know had a chance to bond as a year group in person so i think that's that's a positive from september to christmas um it's just a shame what's happened with the, the new variant
0: which is yeah a lot of a lot of uh, plans isn't it it's yeah uh, completely We're out the blue. yeah yeah to see i mean they say it's more transmissible i don't know whether that means it's transmissible outdoors because i know whether you can lecture outdoors in the spring maybe or as it gets warmer and see see what challenges we can sort of rise to and, and how we adapt but I, yeah i do feel very sympathetic there has been a bit of judgment around students but i think for that time of your life and you're paying a lot of money now as well aren't you which is different yeah. than, when we, than when we studied you know university is a lot more a lot more expensive so it's a, a reduced output necessarily because of of what you get but less sort of bang for your buck in a sense. Or i know you're working working really hard to, to lecture remotely what in, in your le- sort of lectures as a journalism professor sports journalism in particular have you reflected on what the changes might usher in because we've talked in the past with yourself and obviously your former colleague mark hallowell's been on ash has been on as well we've talked about the, um, the challenges facing the industry anyway, pre-pandemic. What's your take on it? What, what's been the conversations around the impact that may be on the, the industry and the particular, the particular platforms that thrive and don't thrive? Yeah, I enjoyed both of those, by the way. There's, there's, um, it's really interesting to hear from them both. But I
1: think the what we've, what we've been able to do is, is because sports journalism is carrying on, you're, you know, you're still working, you're yeah. still presenting, I'm still covering games. It's obviously very different, but what we've been able to do is give give the students a real insight into how sports journalism is operating at the moment so the mm. the impact that this has had on the way we go about our business at the moment um, in terms of the long term changes i think you know i think it's amazing what you can do online
0: zoom zoom press conferences in some ways are yeah, pretty what do you much. think about them? I think the, I think the managers are getting off a little bit lightly. What do you think? What's your take on it? Mm. I just feel like there's not many, there's not the the, the remit of, of follow-ups. So maybe there's that. It's slightly easier to, to sort of swerve things a bit. I don't know. What's what's your thoughts? Yeah,
1: thought. I think yeah, I think there is that. I think you can. I, think, I still think you can you can get a decent rapport with the manager over a video call. Still, I think we've yeah. been we've been Michael, Michael's press conferences have been pretty much online. Mm. With the exception of a few weeks, um, I guess you know you know him well though.
0: anyway, don't you? So that helps in a sense having that build-up yeah. beforehand.
1: Yeah, but it's it's not quite the same, as it? As being able to go up, introduce yourself, shake someone's hand, have a, have a coffee, or, but it's not quite the same. But if you, yeah, I think it, it's doable. Um, some some cl- it's interesting. Some clubs have done their post-match media on Zoom, whereas others have just tried to do it safely and distance at, at the stadium. So that's been quite interesting. Yeah, um, but we you know we've been able to get some really high quality. Uh, guest speakers on for the students maybe people that wouldn't have wanted to travel over to Gloucestershire in normal times but yeah because it's been no travel um and everyone's now had to do it everyone's you have to do had it, to you? adapt yeah. yeah everyone's had to adapt we've had some brilliant uh, guest speakers for the students and they've been able to hear from And I think that's just as good everyone in a video chat asking them questions as it is mm. sitting in a big lecture theatre it's, it's the yeah. it's the getting out and covering live sport really that's been the key thing that's been a lot more difficult. Um, we to get to get we them due access. To go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Get them access. Yeah. So we we hopefully we'll be able to get out during the the latter part of semester two. We um, we, we were due to go to a game um, just before Christmas and it got called off, due oh, to man. the Watford pitch, which was a real blow because that would oh, be a yeah. good one. But uh, but yeah, it's, just got to see what happens. Really, see roll with the punches. Control what we can. We we got no control really, sure. um, other than obviously doing everything safely with what goes on with the government guidelines. But I think we definitely feel sympathy for the, the students. But we've just got to give them the best experience we can, try and prepare them as best we can. Um, yeah. And I think online teaching, um, I just can't speak for the students, but the way they adapted towards the end of last year and the, the way that they are so technologically aware um, yeah. and adaptable, um, I think they've been a credit. You know, I think yeah. they can be very proud of what they've done. <laughs> I'm, not saying it's been e- I'm not saying it's been easy for them. No. But I think they've been professional, um, handled it well, adapted well and i think you know part of being a sports journalist is being able to adapt to new ways of doing sure. things because things sure. never stay still do they so that's that's something that we've been able to give them some some real life experience of is how sports journalists are going about their business in this
0: in this covid affected environment yeah i remember it's funny i can flash back and i had a hotmail email account which i didn't re- rarely use but i went to university in 2000 and i remember being sat at Loughborough University in a place called the Lasher Learning Centre which was near the, the hall where I was staying in Towers. It was called the Towers, it was a big tower which is kind of right on the name, it was, uh, it was on the money but we sat in there and we were all trying to figure out how to open our Loughborough email account and it it took us about three hours to do that (laughs) 20 years ago and I was just thinking and to be fair I mean the technology is is, as I've got older has become easier and actually you know I never thought I'd do much of the podcast remotely there's people some people in Manchester I spoke to Tom McDermott who's a Manchester United writer I speak to just logistically it's easier but then you know I've I've always valued that that human contact but actually I've done more more podcasts in lockdown than previous and actually managed to grow the podcast i don't think it's the same it's easier with people like you who i've met personally before i find that easier um yeah and then even people you've sort of known of through other people like like ash Loveridge and, and and mark you speak to online you sort of get rapport over a year or so and and kind of but i think sometimes you know cold call not cold calling people but speaking to people for the first time you've never met is is trickier in any in any form but there's certain advantages to it if you have to do it i think it's going back to maybe the blend of both worlds. Like, I find it surreal if you're doing, say, if you're doing a Zoom press conference at Sky for the Brentford manager, Thomas Frank, and he's just down the road, like a couple of hundred yards away, versus me yeah. inter- interviewing for work an MMA fighter who's in Hawaii. Then you're like, well, that makes sense. It's a different, you know, it's <laughs> that you're getting something you wouldn't get otherwise you couldn't physically do. You couldn't fly for 24 hours to get a 10-minute be pointless but um when it's yeah. you know a 10 minute walk away it's, it seems slightly strange so it's uh yeah it's interesting how that the dynamics of it work but it's certainly something I even doing the i started doing the podcast because i've done them previously in, in radio absolute slash virgin radio and then at sky sports hosting the boxing podcast and it was very much sort of the preserve at that time of radio stations and media outlets but suddenly you get apps like the anchor app and you can do it on your phone you think it is becoming easier for everyone to do it even if we're less technically savvy and of, of not of the generation which your students are where they've grown up with screens around them all the time yeah i think the the office environment is going to be very interesting not necessarily just in sports journalism. i think
1: in general i think all companies will be looking at
0: what yeah
1: they need from an office to, you know i think there's there's still a huge benefits to being around a group of colleagues and having that that mm. obviously that that, that um, interaction but i think some some companies might think it's better to stay remote, um, save money, might be more effective working, less commuting, less better for the environment. I don't know. I think there's all sorts of things that will yeah. come into play. Um, I think, but I think sports journalism, journalism as a whole, I think the way that the newspapers have adapted, because Gloucestershire, Live, for example, I haven't been in an office since the first lockdown, the, the content no. they're producing, the way they're working as a team, the way they're communicating with each other, it's been remarkable, really. And I think yeah. they, they'll, 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 they'll definitely miss that that having that team together in a room, but I think the way they've handled it and the yeah. way it can be done with people dotted all over the county and uh, still covering everything as, as well as they would have done before is, you know, it's been really admirable. So I think that's something to consider the, the yeah. office, what you need from an office, how much you need to be in the office, uh, how much you need to be commuting around and, and spending yeah. time on the motorway when you could probably do a lot more now. And yes. having that balance of still actually seeing people outside of your own household,
0: you know, which is obviously good for everyone to have that. Mm. Yeah, it possibly changes that report. I think it changes the dynamics, you say, with the office space and different careers. Whether it becomes more remote is then what type of people gravitate to it. Because I think traditionally in our work, more extroverted people possibly have grown into it. Particularly in broadcast, you can argue that people are sort of wanting attention if you, if you work in TV and radio to a certain extent. But I think a lot of it in sport is about being social. You play sport, it's social. You want to be around sport. You go and chat to people in the press room, the players, the manager, that kind of thing. That I wonder the dynamic slightly shifts because my wife's a graphic designer and actually that tends to be populated by far more introverted people who like to be on their own space, who like to work on their own, either in an office or at home. Um, and I just wonder whether that changes the dynamic slightly. We've got a guy at work actually, well probably many, but one person I spoke to is producing some of the MMA content I've been hosting the YouTube interviews for Sky Sports and I chatted to him for the first time and he's never met anyone at work never been in physically got a job in April so it was sort of like <laughs> you're thinking well, that must be so strange to be in, in in that situation he was quite a gregarious character actually and I spoke to him and I thought you know if you're if you're writing and you're, you're not actually interviewing people but you're writing stuff from up copy up from press conferences it must be a very different thing than when we were starting out in journalism when actually you had to force yourself to speak to a lot of different people and and that was part of the the human growth, I think, I went through. Yeah, yeah, absolutely agree. Like going into Not an office is quite daunting, wasn't it? When you first go in, you know, you got the presenters, the the sort of editors, yeah. the top people, and you. I don't know, even local radio, that was part of you know learning your your role and your position and sort of hierarchies, is is the dynamics of it that that person, that sort of personal development as a young man in the, in the office and and how to speak to people and how to speak to women and men and different, you know, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. I think this will just
1: maybe what's happened over the last nine months. So we'll just speed up maybe some things that were on the way anyway. Mm. I think it will just, I do think it will have a, you know, I think, I don't think things will ever go completely
0: back to how they were before yes. in terms of the way people work. And anxiety over health as well. You know, I don't know whether the physical thing, you know, a lot of people wash their shopping and sterilize it. And understandably so after being to the supermarket, the idea of a newspaper physically, where the people will psychologically struggle with that. we don't know whether there'll be a swing back and it'll be, you know, it might be in party time in, in 18 months time people are going yeah. wild and you know a backlash against it and everyone's hugging and cuddling in the streets it might be but you just wonder about suddenly you start thinking about things in a different way don't you like tact, tactilely, like a, a newspaper yeah. it's that hygienic to have a newspaper it's funny how you, you sort of look at it in a different way
1: yeah yeah definitely so but news, newspapers are still battling on aren't they i just think yeah that, that there um maybe some people during this pandemic will have would have made the, the transition from from, from print to online that maybe wouldn't have done before so it might, it might speed that transition up but mm. like you said I, I think newspapers nobody knows what's going to happen with newspapers whether they're going to have a vinyl style resurgence whether they're, they're going to be done for good but
0: I think this what's happened this year or what's happened over the last year will certainly not have, have helped them Yeah Well, but for you as well work lost your alive. I mean that's a vital insight into the club at the moment that people aren't even getting any access to so I think there is a sort of swing back towards local journalism in particular and actually just I think with the internet, we've talked about it before, an abundance of, of content, but not always the most insightful, not always the most skillfully crafted. I think maybe people will appreciate, you know, just the, the skill of writing, the, the skill of constructing a good story, which I suppose is what you're you're coaching your students in. You think at some point, the consumer realizes that actually gossip blogs and things like that aren't quite the, the same thing. Yeah, I think the, the- the ability to, to have that
1: quality is more important than ever because there is such so much stuff out there, um, a lot of good and, and a lot of bad. As you said, there's there's a huge amount of stuff, and I think being able to do it properly and and have the ability to build an an audience and, and build a loyal following is
0: you know and build a brand ready. Yeah, is absolutely crucial now for anyone that wants to make it as a, a sports journalist.
1: Well, John, you've in
0: general. You've been a vital insight into to covering the club for me and keeping across it through the, the period even more so than than usual not being able to to get to the club so I appreciate you for that and just let's know where we can can follow you as well on uh, on twitter and also get i guess contact the university if you if students are listening to this yeah well um you can follow me on
1: twitter at john Palmer sport John without an h that is j o n Palmer sport and Gloucestershire live obviously where most of my chat and town content goes So live dot um, yeah there's you know try so the this main, I say predominantly Cheltenham, but also keep an eye on the, the other clubs in the county at the moment. Obviously, none of the, unfortunately, none of the lower non-league clubs are able to play at the moment, which is a real shame. And I, I just find it difficult to see how they're going to finish their season. But Gloucester City mm. are still going, Forest Green are still obviously going in League Two, and
0: so yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see what happens between now and the end of the season. Yeah, um, the hits the hits must have been big for Gloucestershire Live. Are they over the period because people are trying to find out the regulations and rules as well? I suppose. Yeah, I think
1: the figures have been good, Um both for football and I think in general. Gloucestershire Live, I think, you know, you'd have to speak to the stats people to get the exact figures, but I think more people are reading stuff now than ever, you know, in days gone by, of just there being a newspaper or the early days of the website. I think many, many more people are reading the site mm. now than ever. So I think, you know, the digital growth has been huge. And there's a, there's a great digital team of news and then um, the print. Of which one of which Mark Halliwell, the print team, will put the paper together. So, it's, and yeah, they've they've had to adapt, um, all working
0: remotely, still doing a great job. Certainly are. Well, John, great to speak to you. Enjoy the FA Cup game at the weekend, and and hopefully catch up with you soon. Brilliant. Cheers, Ed. Nice chat. Thank you. Yeah, good man. There. Fascinating to see what the outcome is of the pandemic for regular work for the changing of that. As I say, it might attract different type of personnel to different types of careers, introverts and extroverts. I know myself, I've found it very fortunate, albeit having to be socially distanced at work, wearing masks, et cetera, et cetera, when we're not on air. I've been very fortunate to get in and speak to different people. We usually actually have a presenting partner with us on air on Sky Sports News, and that has been changed. So that's a little bit different. We still have pundits coming in, analysts watching games, which has been good for that social interaction. I think Without that, I would particularly miss it. Grew up in a big house, three brothers, younger brothers, kind of mayhem, extended family living with us. So for me, um, and I think it's good for my wife that I get to go out and, and do that at work. And I think it's interesting to see if, if, if types of jobs change, the different types of people may do them. Because for me, I've done some interviews from home, which is good, and some writing from home, which employs a different part of your brain during the lockdown to, to make up my hours. But And I, I've enjoyed that that sort of that different sort of cerebral experience of writing versus broadcasting and that kind of um, sort of train of thought you get into a sort of tranquil state of focus when you achieve that in writing but I think long term I would not want to be at home not physically interacting having that kind of face-to-face human contact which you know I think extroverts like myself feel more keenly I didn't realize I was extrovert until I had situations of being introverted and found that a real struggle actually because I grew up in a house with loads of people it was uh, fairly novel as a young adult to spend time alone and realizing that that was a challenge and a good challenge to try and get better at actually but um, certainly interesting to see how the world changes thank you to John Palmer great to get his insight good that he thinks it relative rude health are the local football clubs Cheltenham Town, Gloucester City and Forest Green get in touch with me if you if you've got insight to that as well Uh, ed at eddraper.co.uk actually the best email is hello at drapermedia.co.uk also i'm on twitter ed draper 81 ed underscore draper 81 on instagram love to get your thoughts thank you to you for listening thank you to the sponsors of the podcast bangin olofsson of cheltenham and serene av who are specialists in some of the finest home entertainment brands providing solutions based around high quality customer service and installations check out b cheltenham on twitter and instagram and the website as well you know, contact Jason Briggs and his team. There'll be phone numbers listed on the site just for inquiries, any kind of consultation about equipment you're looking for, repairs maybe of existing equipment, great people. And we'll uh, do you a solid uh, information. Uh, so hopefully best of luck with that. Thank you to Cytoplan, food-based supplement company in association with the podcast. Hopefully one of the catalysts, I suppose, suppose the positive catalysts of the pandemic will be to encourage us to look at our health sort holistically preemptively long-term about how we can be healthier so that when these things hit like the pandemic we're in a better state to uh, to, to sort of fight it off to recover from things like COVID-19 and uh, their supplements have been a long staple of my family the Drapers my father Dr Mark Draper big advocate of them and you can get a 30% I believe initial purchase discount 10% thereafter with the code at cytoplan.co.uk, entering the discount code DRAPER10R, D-R-A-P-E-R, all capital letters, the numbers one, zero, and the capital letter R. I think they've also started, I've got something through the post, a sort of loyalty service, which you may be able to then get subsequent discounts and money off as well with each purchase tallies up, and I think that wouldn't be exclusive to using my discount code either. I will hope you are well, I hope psychologically, physically, mentally, financially, all the aspects of health and i hope you're able to control the controllables do listen back to the podcast i recorded just before christmas with john hudson uk military's chief survival instructor on the concepts of stoicism and that ability to distance ourselves from the external and maybe maintain that positive internal atmosphere that kind of equilibrium internally when there's a lot of stresses externally. because I think for a lot of us, we're quite soft, aren't we? I certainly am. I No adversity, no real kind of world wars on my shores, no real kind of devastation. The 2008 financial crash impacted my career, but there wasn't so much anxiety around health, around the economy, around the future. So I think for me, trying to revel in those concepts, embrace those concepts of my internal reality, not having to be dictated by the external so much has been helpful hope it was for you to so listen back to that podcast with John, good guy, and John Palmer as well. I hope you enjoyed this one today. Rate it on iTunes if you did. Always appreciate your support. Any messages, any comments, any reviews, I'll read them out on the podcast as well. Thank you for listening. Really appreciate it, guys. Have a good rest of the week. Goodbye for now.